Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, which is one of my favorite times of the week. So, gentlemen, uh, introduce yourself and sign in, please. Go ahead. <laughs> Start from left to right. Yeah. Greg Borgon. Tom Parrish. Jeff Verdorn. All right, there's the team. <laughs> They're all looking at me like I'm nuts. But anyway, let me know what questions you have for them. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Two, four, eight, four. All right, gentlemen, here's the first question that's already come in. This is in regards to Revelation chapter 6, the seal judgments. For the first four seals, the angel says, come or come and see or go. Is he saying that to John or to the horseman in regard to each unfolding event? And do the seal judgments take place at the tribulation after the rapture? Good question. Uh, yes, is the answer. These are all of it. Looks when you start studying the book of Revelation, we were actually just talking about this in the green room. You got to decide if the book of Revelation is a prophetic book that describes actual, literal events that are going to come upon the world, or are is it a symbolic uh, representation of kind of this cosmic battle of good versus evil. Uh, but once you make that decision, and it's an important decision to make, I believe these represent future actual events that are going to come upon the world during a literal seven-year tribulation that will come upon the world. Then in the book of Revelation itself, he says uh, many times throughout the book, come and I will show you John. It's the angel speaking to John. Or after this, John says, I looked and saw, or then I saw. And so John sees actually a series of, of visions throughout the book of Revelation that aren't necessarily, by the way, in chronological order. That's so you right. got to kind of put the pieces together. And then finally, the last part of this question is the four seals themselves. Yes, these are four, um, uh, the four horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is this commonly called. And in fact, we see this imagery often in media and in movies and stuff, and it always represents kind of impending doom or judgment whenever it's used. But these four writers in sequence uh, are four literal events that will happen during the seven-year period. In fact, when the disciples in Matthew 24 ask Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the, the age, the first four things he tells them to look for are the same four things as these first Four seals. Yeah. Okay, so it's a deceiver that's going to come. It's war. It's famines and it's death. And Jesus says, "Look for these four things during the tribulation period." And the first four seals of the tribulation period are the exact same things. You know, it's a complicated topic. Are either one of you or any one of you three familiar with any kind of a a chart? You know, I love charts. I love things where I can see it liter literally or whatever. Well, it looks like I've got one next to me here. Greg's already there. Go ahead, Greg. Tell us about it. <laughs> you know, j just for um, uh, clarity in terms of uh, how it actually lays out, I'll begin with just very quickly. 
Jesus' resurrection, 40 days later, his ascension. Then you have the church age, which is Revelation verse uh, chapters 1 through 3. Then the church's rapture. Now, it depends on whether you are a post-trib, pre, a mid-trib, or pre-trib. But in this particular case, uh, it's a pre-trib rapture that God says he's going to save us from the wrath. So that's Revelation 4 and 5. Then you have the seven years of tribulation, the first three, and then the great tribulation, the first three and a half, and the great tribulation, the last three and a half, is in Revelation chapters 6 through 18. Then Jesus' second coming and uh, the battle of Armageddon, and that's Revelation 19. And then you have the thousand-year millennial reign, which is in Revelation 20, uh, at the end of which uh, Satan is loosed again for a short time and then finally thrown into the lake of fire. And then finally, you have the great white throne of judgment, and then Revelation 21 and 22 is the new heaven and new earth. How do people get a hold of that? (laughs) What a great summary and overview of the book of Revelation and God's plan for the end of the age. Yeah. I realize how lazy I'm getting. Not only do you guys answer the questions, but I'm making you introduce yourselves as well. (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing? Seriously, what's my role anymore? (laughs) Well, with AI, maybe uh, we're all going to be replaced at some point. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's look at this beautiful place called Delight, which is the Garden of Eden. Now, some people say there was just the tree of life. Or wait a minute. Was there there two trees? Was it the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yes, there were two trees. So there were two Two. trees, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's explain the difference and, and the significance each one has. Well, the tree of life is really a reflection of the Lord himself. It is in him that we have life and we have purpose and we have meaning. And today, in my experience as a pastor, people are desperately looking for purpose and meaning. They don't know what their life is about. That's why we want people to know Jesus. That's where you get life from. That's where you get purpose from. And that's what the tree of life was. And Adam and Eve had that. It was right there. He was right there in the presence of them. And that tree was not forbidden in any way, you know, But the other tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that's the one that Satan went to work on Eve and then on Adam. The point was, Lord is saying, look, you go for that tree and you disobey me in this. You will suddenly discover, you know, what good and evil is about because they had no concept of evil. And I think today what worries me is I think we're losing a concept of evil in our culture. Everything today and I know I'm going to step on a few toes. Everything today is a mental illness. It is a racial issue. It is a poor, you know, depravity. You didn't have that when you were growing up and you couldn't do it. Nobody's responsible anymore for sin. And as a result, uh, you even see our law for, you see our prosecutors in that, allowing people to rob stores and do other things and say, well, you know, they're, they're desperate. They need these things. But I don't see anybody reimbursing the owners. So the bottom line is, once you know good and evil, suddenly you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is either you're going to try to be God in your life, Lord forbid, or you're going to get on your knees and repent. And it is the repentance that we need to be doing. And too often we don't talk about that or help people understand that well. So in the garden, I love that image that you just gave, Tom, that the tree of life represents the author of life himself. He puts two trees in the garden, right? The tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They obviously ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't prohibited from eating from the tree of life. They were prohibited from eating yes. from the other tree. When they ate from the second tree, 
That is when mankind fell. They disobeyed God. They died spiritually that day. And now we're in need of life eternal. Uh, and that would be then one of the interesting things about Genesis chapter 3, uh, right after the fall of mankind, the first prophecy for the coming Messiah is spoken right after the fall. It's like, here's the fall, then God says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan of redemption, and here's the first clue, the first piece of the clue that I'm going to show you in the rest of the Old Testament, pointing the way to a future coming Messiah who comes in the New Testament, the Gospels dies and rises again, and now his plan of redemption unfolds. So we have two trees. Obviously, they're kicked out of the garden at the fall, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. Yeah. God didn't want Adam and Eve or anybody else to live forever in that fallen state. So they're kicked out of the garden and never to eat from the tree of life again. But now here's the thing, a really cool thing. When God restores all things in that new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, John in Revelation sees a vision and coming forth from the throne in the new city with God dwelling with men is what? The tree of life once again in eternity. So if you've ever wondered what the tree of life is and you're a believer, you're going to have a chance to see that tree of life in the new heaven and new earth. I, I find it really interesting when you go to Genesis chapter 3, and, and it, it speaks to our propensity as human beings to exaggerate or embellish or expand on, on, on truth. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Beginning with verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, which she doesn't name as the tree of good and evil, but that's what she's referring to, mm-hmm. God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So already a modification to God's instruction is, is being offered up here. Because that isn't what God said. <laughs> I heard I heard one commentator a long time ago said that was the start of religiosity, right? <laughs> it was the religious rules around what God has instructed. Kind of like the Jews had the law of God, but they had hundreds of other laws that they added in addition to God's law. 660-some. Yeah, yeah, so the law of God wasn't enough. You know, the, the rabbis and the Pharisees and so on would add a whole bunch of other laws uh, to keep people from getting close to breaking the law of God, if you will. And that's that's the start of it, right there in the garden. I had an old professor who once said, you know, the problem with Christianity is kind of like in the Old Testament with the Jews. Along the way, we say, yes, you're my Lord and Savior, but hey, we've got this worked out now, so we can take it from here. And we think we can keep adding things to it to make it better, when in reality, it should be driving us back to the Savior. You know, what also is interesting about this whole thing, in reading again in chapter 3, beginning with verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of fruit and ate. Now, those three areas are areas in which we are all tempted and we are predisposed to temptation in one of those areas, depending on our what I've concluded is, is our age. For instance, when it talks about good for food, it's about pleasure, it's about physical need, and generally when you're younger, uh, it has to do with sexual desire as well, you have a propensity to fall into temptation in those particular areas. And then the second area, the tree uh, is pleasant to the eyes, which has to do with 
acquiring things or materialism or possessions. And so when you're in the mid stages of your life, you're accumulating things, you're gathering possessions, and and uh, it's always the next best thing. So we're susceptible to temptation from that direction during the middle years of our life. And then finally, it says, um, it talks about um, the, uh, let's see here, desirable to make one wise. So later on in life, when you've accumulated everything, you established your career, then you're susceptible to status and pride and temptation in those areas. So that's seen in the beginning in Genesis. It's repeated again in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, because those are the three exact areas that Satan tempted Christ with. Hmm. And then you find in First John, at the end of the Bible, those three areas identified again. We can make connections here all day, and, and I'm sincere. You talked about the tree of life in the book of Revelation coming from the throne. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. And the connection there is not a coincidence. Mm-mm. He is so bound up in all of this that I don't think most of us have ever understood that about Jesus, and we don't get it like we should. But literally, that tree of life is him, is Jesus himself. I do a class called In the Beginning, In the End, and we kind of look at an overview of God's creation and how God made everything, and then his consummation of everything, so creation and consummation. There, I have a, a series of slides of about 15 things, of things that we see in the garden that that you don't see again until you get to the end of the book when everything is made new again. And this, there's this wonderful picture of here's the things in the garden here they are once again at the end of this age hmm. all right i don't think you guys are working hard enough <laughs> so just uh, i'm going to delegate some responsibility this hour okay so you are listening to jeff Verdorn. no 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 tell me what the name of the segment is listening to guy talk all right and if, afternoons with bill arnold and if you have a question text bill call the number 877-933-2484. And again, 877-933-2484. I thought you guys would be more trainable. All right, we're going <laughs> to take a break and come right back. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. All right, thank you for tuning in today. It is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. They're doing an awesome job. Well, I think we've only answered one question, gentlemen. We got a little carried away right in the beginning, but it was lively discussion. It's fun. Yeah. Is there anything, it is fun. anything in addition we want to uh, say before we move on? All right. That was awkward. <laughs> I, I think it, well, I think it's so important to remember we've got 66 books in the Bible. And from Genesis to Revelation, there's mm-hmm. a total unification. And on Sunday, I mentioned that in church. Uh, from the pulpit, I said, I picked out one of the ladies in the congregation. I said, I know you're a good writer. 
But what if you wrote Chapter 1 and your daughter wrote Chapter 2 and your granddaughter wrote Chapter 3 and then we go 1,500 years, do you think you'd have a cohesive story? And she burst out laughing. Well, of course you're not going to, but you do with the Bible. And people say, where does the authority come from that you put so much faith in this Bible? If you just look at it from a logical point of view, there is nothing like this in history. And yet most people miss that point. It's so important. Well, 40 different um, uh, authors over a period of almost fifteen to 1,600 years on three continents. Yeah. And uh, the cohesiveness and coherence and consistency of the Bible is just remarkable. That's inspiration in and of itself. It is. All right, what? my next question is pretty important, and it goes like this. <laughs> this is a dumb question. Is Jeff's name Jeffrey Dorn or Jeff Verdorn? <laughs> you know, I've actually have gotten that over the years. So uh, I actually like the name Jeffrey Dorn. <laughs> it actually sounds pretty cool, but it's actually Jeff Verdorn. So Verdorn is my last name. No, I feel like I say it slowly. And I let you introduce yourself today, so you're creating confusion with my listeners. I did. I didn't say it as slowly as you do, so I should learn to pause in between my first and last I, name. I do that intentionally. Did you know that? I, I knew and that. I have Jeff Verdorn with me. I always have that little pause. Yeah. we've. I think we had this conversation a few years ago, actually. Yeah, well, no, we've had that question before more than once. They think it's Jeffrey Dorn, huh. which, again, it's a cool name. I mean, if it you wanted to show business, I would say switch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that, right? No, but seriously, Jeff, Jeffrey Dorn. Jeffrey Dorn. I like that, yeah. All right, gentlemen, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit with you, helping you? When I, why, why I feel sleepy every time I'm ready to read the Bible? Well, that's the enemy. Um, I, I remember reading it one time through many of the books that were written by Neil Anderson, Freedom of Christ Ministries, and he says he finds it interesting that what's come up over and over again um, is that when we pick up the Word of God, um, then all of a sudden our mind wanders and we have to be disciplined and focused. Our eyelids start to droop, and he feels that, and I agree with him, that that's the enemy, because the last thing the enemy wants is for us to master the Word of God, because it's the only offensive weapon we have. And what he's afraid of is that we'll become his formidable foe. So the idea of, of drooping eyes um, is, I think, facilitated by the enemy. Uh, and, and on occasion, it might be you just haven't gotten enough sleep as well. But the, but the point is, to the, to the question uh, that is raised, that... Any time, well, first of all, one of the evidences of the Spirit living in us is the conviction of our sin, convicted of things that we wouldn't have been convicted of prior to coming to Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's when you pick up the Word of God, if you remember before you became a Christian, if you read any of it, it was a mystery to you, much of it. And then when you come to Christ, all of a sudden passages seem to make sense to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you need to just rely on the truth of God's Word when it says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. And so those are proofs of the Spirit of God active in your life. Conviction, clarity about the Word of God, and just trusting what the Word of God has to say about the Spirit indwelling you. You know, the Holy Spirit comes to us, wakes us up, we hear the gospel and we receive Jesus. We somehow think that's kind of the way it's going to go from now on. It's going to be me and the Lord. 
You look at the New Testament, and everything when it talks about Christians is plural. We are to be doing these things together as often as we can. And you know, I like Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the, themselves together to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. It's interesting because um, every other month we have a uh, day of fasting and prayer at my church. And so that we come together at 5 o'clock Sunday evening, pray till 6.30, then have a light dinner afterward that breaks the fast. I've got people now praying, doing praise for 30 minutes and I've had a lot of the people come up to me and said, I've never given praise to the Lord for 30 minutes in my life. I've never been able to sit there alone and do this. I've never been able to sit alone and pray for 90 minutes. But I feel like the time flies by. And I feel like when we're praying together, it's like I'm praying with everybody else. It's one of the best things that's ever happened. And I think mm-hmm. we've missed so much of that in Christianity. The more you can do it together, the better off you're going to be. So for this listener, I would encourage you, if you find yourself getting drowsy, See if you can find another drowsy person at church and and call them and say, could we at least on Tuesday and Thursday evenings at 8 o'clock spend 15 minutes in the scriptures together over the phone and read it aloud and talk to one another about it? That's better than reading the entire Bible by yourself. If you can then share it with one another, interact and decide, what am I going to do with this? So the first part of that question when he's talking about the Spirit, I love the passages in Romans 8 where it says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit. That we are God's children. So God, uh, I get this question a lot in my classes. Does God still speak to His people today? And it's like, wow, well, you know, it's it's almost like one of these obvious kind of questions. Of course, He still speaks to His people today. We have the the God of the universe, the Creator of all things, dwelling within us, and He testifies to our spirit. He absolutely speaks to us. So we have God speaking to us. So we know we have the Spirit in us. It's His still, small voice that we can hear. We have the fruit of the Spirit. So we have His love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is all the Galatians 5 stuff. His fruit. We are not naturally patient people as human beings, but God gives us His patience. If you don't have peace in your life, uh, God gives you His peace. You want joy? Then, then set your mind on things above and on him, and you will have his joy. And finally, we have the God's power um, in us to over sin in this world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, and all those kinds of passages. For sleeping, when you're reading, uh, boy, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, we, we all know <laughs> what you're talking about because we've all been there. Yeah. Maybe first thing in the morning is a better time than last thing in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, bear with me here. I'm going to take you on a little journey, okay? Mm -hmm. So there is approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. All right. Give or take. Give or take, (laughs) yeah. Or put it another way, 200 sextillion. That's a lot of stars, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 147.4 says, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Now, that's the cliffhanger, because I'm going to pick this up after the break. Because yeah. I'm going to take you guys somewhere, and then hopefully we will uh, enjoy the magnitude and the majesty of God. Okay. All right? So, you're listening to Guy Talker, guys who talk. Let me know what questions you have. For the power panel, again, introduce yourself. Greg Borgon. Tom Parrish. Jeff Verdor. I appreciate the pause. You're getting better at that, just so you know. 877-933-2484. 
Again, 877-933-2484. Send your questions over. I know you have one. One you've been thinking about a while. Get it over. Bye-bye. afternoon show and you are listening to guy talk or guys who talk <laughs> <laughs> we should have rehearsed we got to practice we, we didn't rehearse and, and i was looking you, down and i was going to say out. jeff i know Verdorn. Jeff <laughs> you guys i swear all right and then if you have a question then you need to text Two eight seven Why do I feel like I have a lot of job security all of a sudden? <laughs> I was just going to say, we are sitting in the right seats, for sure. <laughs> all right, let's go take uh, this journey that I want to go on. Uh, there are 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. All right, that's a lot. Uh, Psalm 147.4 says, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. You know, try going to your high school reunion and try to remember names of people you went to high school with. You can't even do that. No. Right? 200 billion trillion stars, you know, is each by name. Consider who we're dealing with here, right? Yeah. I was just at a, had a physical done, and they give you this memory test. It's a wellness physical. And I almost blew that. And they only asked me to remember three things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I want to go to Hebrews 9.27. People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now let's jump to uh, Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. Right? Mm-hmm. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At, at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. All right. So the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in cool in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now, there is the setup. There's a lot of people saying that if you're poorly evangelized or you didn't hear the gospel, you're going to get a chance after you die. I'm thinking, well, this is a God that knows 200 billion trillion stars by name, and and somehow there's going to be details in people's life. It's going to slip through the cracks. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I I think you're absolutely right. God knows the desire of every person's heart. Creation, all creation, declares God's glory. Psalm 119 says it pour forth, pours forth speech Romans 1 says that all creation declares his glory so that man is without excuse. God has revealed himself in, in what theologians call a universal call that declares his glory so that man is without excuse. He knows every single person's heart perfectly. He knows every hair on your head. A sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice. And he knows before we even speak, each, each one of us, the desires of our heart. So, 
at during one's life, God absolutely knows if that person has believed in him or hasn't. And I think the Bible is clear that death seals a person's eternal fate. Every yeah. single person has all the opportunity in their life to receive Christ as Lord or not. But I, I think Scripture's clear. I think death seals a person's fate. In the history of eternity, no angel has ever run into the throne room of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and said, guess what? Because there's <laughs> nothing to be guessed. He knows everything from beginning to end. My problem is I still am trying to create, and I think you'll understand what I'm saying here. I mean, my faith is in Jesus, but too often I'm trying to create a God that's a lot like me. Well, well, maybe he doesn't know the answer to this question either. Or what's he going to do about all the people in India? Or what about the people in China that haven't heard? The Bible says he's eminently fair, he's just, and his judgments are right. Mm. So therefore, no one, and I mean no one, will have an excuse to say, I didn't get the chance. No, you will get the chance the way the Lord does it. Well, you know, you take a look at, at Romans chapter 1, verse 18, which we're all familiar with as it begins with verse 18. And it's, it's talking to non-Christians, Roman non-Christians, and it talks about general revelation, how God has revealed himself. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God's shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And it goes on to give two more illustrations of why we have no excuse. So there is no one that has an excuse that they haven't heard, um, you know, about God. This is the argument that I'm sure you've all heard it, of the guy in the Amazon, right? Yeah. Well, what about the guy in the Amazon when you preach that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And I find it interesting that so many people are so concerned about this guy in the Amazon. It's like, <laughs> if you're that concerned, go down there and preach the gospel to him because uh, he needs to be saved just like everybody else. But Scripture is full of these descriptions of how God has revealed himself to mankind. For example, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says he's put eternity into man's heart. Every person on the planet has this sense that there's something after this life. I don't care what continent or what century or what culture you grew up in. Everyone has a sense that there's something after this life. He says he, he says all creation declares his glory. In the next chapter in Romans, chapter 2, it says that his law is written on man's heart. Their conscience mm -hmm. is bearing witness that they know what's right and wrong. Man has an understanding of what's right and what's, what's wrong. That comes from God. He says he sends his Holy Spirit out into the world to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. God says, I stand at the door and knock at every single person's heart in the entire, uh, on the entire uh, face of the earth. And by the way, he asks his church to partner with him to preach the gospel, to go proclaim this mm -hmm. Christ to the whole world. So look, God is calling the whole world and drawing men to himself. Jesus himself said, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Well, it, it's also it, it's an evidence of the fact that somebody is really saying that may ask that question. Um, well, you haven't revealed enough of yourself to me to convince me, and that's what it's really all about. Mm -hmm. Is that well, you might 
be out there in creation, but I'm still not convinced, so show me more. I want to tie in with Bill what he said about the billion trillion stars. Is that right, Bill? 200 billion trillion. Every once in a while after church, I'll get somebody who'll say, Pastor, can we talk privately for a moment? <laughs> okay. So we go to my office or we go out in the hallway, and this person will say, you know, I just saw a program, and the guy claims he was at Area 51 and that he's really talked to aliens. Won't that make a mess out of Christianity if there really are aliens? I said, absolutely not. The whole creation is his. He made everything. There's no surprise for the Lord. And I believe if we ever met somebody from another planet, it's real simple. They will also have within their heart some knowledge. I don't know what it'll be, but it will be there to some degree. And I trust the Lord's already spoken to them. You know, that that voice that speaks to you, you just said to some degree, have you ever noticed that it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever and you get to a mountain scene or maybe a, a, a lake or a, a canyon of some sort? And what's our reaction? We ah, oh, what are you reacting to? I think that awe is you're reacting to what God has made. You're reacting to the creator, just as if you were to look at a painting and go, wow, right? I wonder who painted this or a sculpture and went, wow, that's beautiful. Who sculpted it? In the same way, when, we, when we, you hear even unbelievers say, oh, this is so cool. This is so beautiful. What they're really doing is recognizing God is the creator, is the author of what they are it, in awe of. It resonates with their heart. The Lord has put the melody in our hearts. And when they see these things, all of a sudden they're in tune. What we have to do as Christians is to tell them who the author of all that really is and help them to know Jesus. Hmm. You know, the the verse that you cited, Jeff Verdorn, uh, <laughs> is Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God has placed eternity into each person's heart, yet not so he knows what God has done from the beginning to the end. Well, that whole idea of the sense of the eternal is general revelation. Every person that ever's walked this earth, regardless of the past or they're living in the present or will live in the future, comes to a place in their life where they need answers to essentially three questions that are born out of the sense of the eternal. Why am I here? Am I making any progress? Do I have any impact? And will what I do have any lasting impact? It's all about purpose, prominence, or, or uh, you know, purpose in terms of what am I here for, progress, and permanence. Purpose, progress, and permanence. So that's general revelation. That's coming up out of your heart that God has placed that sense of eternal in you. And And back to that last point, part of your premise or part of the question, Bill, was the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Mm -hmm. And we have a story. I mean, he's now passed from this earth. He's in the next. And there is no evidence whatsoever in the Bible that he has some kind of second chance, post-mortem no, chance, not. to believe and be saved. In fact, what we see is he now understands his fate, and he's telling Abraham, well, at least send Lazarus back to warm my family who's still yeah. on the earth. And he, and he says, no, they've got Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't even believe if someone rises from the dead. Well, guess what? Someone rises from the dead, and they still didn't believe. I'm going to uh, pick on the pastors and the churches for a moment, since I'm a pastor. My name is Tom Parrish. <laughs> That's the French pronunciation. I just want to get that out there. Anyway, the, the problem is, 
we have been content at too often lecturing, teaching theology, and giving Christians cliches, rather than giving them real tools, how to talk to their family, how to listen to their family, how to let their family tell them their needs, but do it in a way that they're not saying, I can't hardly wait to get the four spiritual laws and I'm going to get you with this. No, you let the Holy Spirit lead the process. If we would take more time giving Christians practical tools, I think we'd have a much greater impact in this world. But right now, most churches, and I hate to say this, I don't care what church you go to, most church services and Sunday schools are almost designed like McDonald's. You put in your order, you go through the drive-thru, you get it, and you go on, where we need to really interact, and we need to really talk to one another about it. And one of the things my wife as a principal taught me in teaching, she said, if you've got an hour class, you better not have an hour's worth of lecture. You better have about 20 minutes worth of lecture and give them 40 minutes of discussion Hmm. around real problems, around real-life circumstances, and how are you going to work that out now? If you have a family member who's dying and has never heard the gospel, how are you going to witness to that person? And as I've been doing that, uh, my classes, it's been fun, have always grown. I've always had big classes of adults coming. But Christians are coming away saying, I'm finally learning how to talk about my faith, where I didn't know how before. I just... Thought you had to be a special person like an evangelist. Well, that's kind of what Guy Talk is all about. I mean, we're answering questions. I yeah. I, I, teach that um, uh, essentially you're dealing with two people in life. You're dealing with a skeptic or a cynic. And the idea is with a skeptic, you simply answer the questions they're asking. And with a cynic, you simply question the answers they're giving. But you don't, as soon as you get the door open, regurgitate everything you know about the gospel, because all you'll leave is a stench, and they won't want to come back and have any kind of a conversation with you. So we have to discipline ourselves, just as you're saying, and what we're trying to do here on Guy Talk, answer the questions they're asking, and allow the yeah. Spirit of God to bring them to conviction, because it's not up to you. All we are is conduits of His grace. All right, this is Delegate Responsibility Hour, so you are listening to <laughs> Guy Talk, or Guys You Talk. And they can, they can call in. Uh, not call, not call in. They can text their questions. See? <laughs> you guys are You're safe, you, guys, Bill. You, guys, you guys are worthless. <laughs> you guys should see Bill's face right now. You can text your. <laughs> you can text your. I can't do it. Eight seven seven. Nine three three two four eight four. And for some of Thank you, you. if you'd rather go ahead and use email, then you can. You can email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. I've lost control of the show. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to Guide Talk, or guys who talk. Let me know what question you have, 877-933-2484. Look how much smoother that one. I know, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) There are two destinations, isn't there? Let's talk about them. What are the two destinations? There there are. There's... When you look in Scripture, there's actually a, 
a bunch of different descriptions that says there's really only two types of people in this world, those who have life and those who don't have life, those who have believed and, and are saved and those who are still lost. And the Bible says of those two, one has a, a, has a wonderful fate, and this is a fate to be with God forever and ever. Uh, it's the, 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 and one fate is that you are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Um, broad is the gate. That leads to destruction, narrows the gate. That leads to everlasting life. You have the wise and the foolish. You have the sheep and the goats, the wheats and the tares. I mean, over and over and over again in Scripture, there's a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the unrighteous. Um, So those are the two fates described in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what's really interesting, the moment that you are born, you've entered eternity. Where you spend eternity is based on answering the question of Christ and whether or not you're going to trust in, rely on, and cling to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, or deny him, or reject him. And there, like, just like you said, Jeff, there's only two fates. But you're going to be spending eternity in either of those two fates. It isn't a matter of only you're going to stop off and then you're annihilated, because Scripture doesn't talk at all about annihilation. The problem is most of us don't like those two blunt answers. We'd like to have something in between. Yeah, more nuanced, right? Yeah. We'd love getting more nuanced, and we usually want it for our brother, our sister, our parents who have already died, you know, our kids who don't go to church. Instead of saying, wait a minute, what the Bible says is accurate. Now, I need to do everything in my power that is reasonable, that I'm called by the Lord to do, to share with my kids this truth. If they refuse it, there's no nuance to get in apart from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that... We have to be careful that Christianity doesn't push Jesus off to the side and what he's done and create just love and tolerance as the main goal of Christianity. I don't want to open up a can of worms, but if you're thrown into the lake of fire, how is that not annihilation? That's a bad place to be. I'm sure it is. But again, very few people want to think about that until they have cancer or they think they're going to die Mm -hmm. or they think they're in trouble. And I've had the privilege of being with a lot of unbelievers, usually the day or the day before they die. And like those three questions you came up with, Greg, I have heard those over and over and over. Not exactly that way, but it's the same question. And I've actually said to people, are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? Well, I think what what Bill's getting at is if you're exposed to fire, how is that not going to consume you? Well, it talks about it in the book of Revelation that it's insatiable that it's fire that doesn't consume you, but that you experience the results of that fire, creating tremendous thirst and heat and so forth. Um, so you're, but you're not consumed in that fire. Right. Is there a chance that in eternal separation from God, you might feel like you're the only one that's there in hell? I mean, you always hear people saying, well, I'd rather go to hell because that's where my buddies are going to be. <laughs> We're going to be playing golf and playing poker and all that. Well, if you can find them, because it's utter darkness. Uh. Absolute <laughs> utter darkness. So you're going to feel like you're the only one there. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> unless you reach out and, and touch wow, somebody. Wow, that is horrifying. That is horrifying. That is horrifying. It's utter darkness. Think yeah. about it. It isn't the first time that the Scripture talks about utter darkness in the book of Revelation, because one of the plagues, the ten plagues during Moses' time, when God was sending those plagues to convince the Pharaoh to release his nation— was darkness, utter darkness, and it describes what that feels like in the book of Exodus. I had talked to an agnostic who had, we had been talking about this very topic, 
about the lake of fire and, and eternal destiny. He finally said, you know what? That's just not fair. <laughs> and my response was, you don't get to make the mm-hmm, choice in that mm-hmm. sense of what's fair and what's not. Yeah. It's what it is. You know, I jump out of an airplane without a parachute and fall to my death. Well, that's just not fair. Well, we have yes, today in our society this whole notion of not accepting responsibility for our behavior. So it isn't that it's not fair. We, have, we make the choice yeah. for those destinies. We're responsible for that. And so we can't push it off on anyone else. We can't blame God for it because we've chosen to reject um, his provision. And so we make choices that end up having consequences. I had an uncle that we would talk at family gatherings. He was an unbeliever. And I knew that our faith-based conversation was done when he would say, always say something like, well, I just don't care where I'm going. I'll have friends in both places, right? Mm. And it's kind of this idea that some say, well, it's better to, to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. And they, they just don't have an accurate picture of these two choices. Because mm-hmm. if you truly understood, if you really knew the two fates— no one in their right mind would pick the, the, the bad fate, right? The fate without God. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, Scripture says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonders that God has in store for us. Heaven and eternity with God is, is infinitely better than the alternative choice. Mm, you know, as we talk about this, guys, there is this thought that someone might be listening right now that—, that that says that that is what I want to avoid. I want to have the power of sin broken in my life. I want to be freed from uh, the devil having taken me captive to do his will, as it talks about in Second Timothy 2.26. There is the idea that I don't know how to place my faith and trust in God. Let's help people who are listening right now make that choice. There's several pictures in Scripture that I, I just love because they're so simple that we can understand it. One is in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Whosoever opens that door, Jesus will come in. And if you are hearing God knock on your door right now, open that door. That's a picture of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Another picture is the woman at the well. Jesus says to this woman, if you knew who you were talking to, the Son of God, the Messiah, mm-hmm. You would ask me for living water, and it would well up to eternal life. And finally, the last picture I wanted to point to is the thief on the cross, who even though the two, Jesus was about to die, the thief on the cross was about to die, but the thief says this simple line, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is a beautiful, simple picture of simple faith. If you're at that point in your life where you're ready to to bend your knee at the foot of the cross, you may simply just say, I acknowledge, Lord, that I'm a sinner, that I deserve judgment. I recognize that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and paid that penalty for me. So I receive him as my Lord and Savior. And a simple prayer like that means that you go from death to life. It's no more simpler than that. It's simply a description of what you understand at that moment and that Jesus is your only salvation. 
and you receive him into your life. Notice I don't say accept because who's accepting whom? The scripture talks about receiving Jesus, this amazing gift, and it's as simple as that. And the first thing the devil's going to do when you do that is say, do you have enough faith? Is it really enough? It's not how much faith we have. Jesus compared faith to a mustard seed, a tiny little seed. It's where you put that faith, and you put that faith in Jesus, you're in. Yeah. You put it anywhere else, you're out. It's a, not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of faith. And, and, and we know biblically that he is the only door. He's the only gate. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul says to Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to get to God, you have to, have to, have to go through Jesus Christ. And you see the power of the name of Jesus, because how often do you hear at a football game, soccer game, baseball game, or on TV, anybody using a swear word with, you know, Buddha? It's always the name of Jesus. That's because you don't, first of all, call on something that's dead. You call on something that's alive and has power. And even the unbeliever understands there's a power there, and that's why they do it. Thank you, gentlemen, for that. I think it's an important uh, time. And if you came to that understanding for the first time in your life and you have been thinking, how do I get to a place of being right with God? And you've said, I want to accept this gift of salvation. I want to place my faith and my trust in Jesus. And today was the day you did that. That's awesome. You're a member of the family of God now. Yeah. It's your spiritual birthday. Blessings and welcome. And if you want to let me know, I would be thrilled to pass this on. If today was that day you did that, the day of your second birth. All right. You are listening to Guy Talk. Or Guy to Talk. Or I threw you Hey, off. two out of three is not bad. Way to go. I, I don't know. get even. I get a head bill. Wait till the next Oh, oh yeah. Session. Yeah, I don't feel that threat. It's right coming. Now. It's coming. But if you have a question, then you could text us at 877-933-2484 or email us at Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. I don't take orders. We'll be right back. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.